were trying to squeeze in a couple of other episodes in between, but real life just got in the way and that ended up not happening. So we're back with this episode. Uh, joining me, as always, are my co-host CT. Hello. And our otaku in training, Brandon. Howdy. And Bama. Hello. So for this episode, we decided to go with CT's initial suggestion, which would was Fooly Cooly. Fooly Cooly is a six-episode series that premiered way back in the early part of this century. Uh, it's er, it's early Gynax, which is always a good time or interesting at the very least. We'll call it that. Uh, so before we get into our discussion, CT. So tell us why did you pick this series for us? Okay, when we were starting and and when we were gathering, you know, the exposure and the general uh, uh, timing of Brandon and and Bama's history with anime, uh, what I wanted to do was pick the most anime that I could think of. And I wanted to time it around the time that it felt like they had dropped out. I I know that uh, Bama had watched Evangelion, which, of course, has, you know, some strong connections through here. I think Brandon said that uh, he'd watched a little bit of Naruto, which would have been right around there. But this is turn of the millennium. It feels like the, the time at which whatever they had been doing had kind of bailed out. Uh, and so I was trying to think of all of the things that are very heavy anime themes and uh, uh, stylings and other stuff. So, you know, having coming of age stuff, uh, obviously, uh, some kind of mecha connection was a requirement and both of these felt like a good through line from Evangelion. Uh, little bits of, uh, uh, you know, school life in here. In this case, uh, what is it, the metaness of it? Because this is kind of, you know, head up its ass anime. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do not, I don't think I can think of any other work in any other medium that covers this level like, when you talk about something that's surreal or absurdist in ways, I can't... It, it strikes a very different picture to me, but when you're doing anime absurdism, uh, you know, the, it, it's fairly unique to the, to the medium, and maybe we can uh, uh, roll around and see if anyone can pull out other examples. So that, that was part of it, because, again, it, it just felt inherently anime this uh this was you know a, a kind of thing that you are only really experiencing through the medium so it it was kind of a how do you get back into it well you jump into the deep end and this was uh, as deep an end as i could think of uh it was also a six part ova which is something that again was very very anime driven but only for a period of time and then 
got out of fashion because you really don't get that kind of thing in modern, but uh, very much of, uh, of, you know, the release types uh, for a while. And for a lot of people when they were really picking up anime to begin with, uh, which also meant that it would be shorter and conceivably less painful. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll find out. Uh, but also one of the things I just remember Furikuri being looming huge in the community for its time. Uh, and having a, a reasonably long tail, but short of the people who really still delve in and do, like, let's say, YouTube reviews and will wind back to things that were large touchstones of the time, you don't really hear it getting mentioned, getting, uh, uh, you know, recommended by people it seems to have been something that everyone loved for a period of time and probably because they experienced at a particular age but i think that's part of the larger conversation we'll have about it uh but now it seems to be a bit more contentious you still have the people who really like it but you seem to have an awful lot of uh, awful lot more haters of it than before but it's still, you know, north of eight on Mal, so the the overall impression that it, you know, left still seems to leave a mark on the anime community, but it it's I find it interesting to explore that kind of thing now. And that's why I wanted to start to, uh, uh, you know, noobs back on their journey by experiencing something like this, because I think that's literally what it comes down to. It, it, it occurs to me, or it, it appears to be, to me, to be much more of an experience than anything else about it. Although it has enough depth if you're willing to chase it down and uh, desirous of, but uh, not not everyone gonna be. And since you knew of it before, you can at least uh, decide whether or not that felt right from my perspective of just trying to find like right right around the the turn of the millennium. Was there a better target, you you think, possibly for the most anime that I could think of? I wouldn't say that there's a better target for the most anime anime to ever anime. <laughs> uh, I would say that I probably wouldn't have chosen this one right off the bat i would have waited a little while before i exposed people to it um but that's just me uh let's go ahead let's actually start getting into the series itself before this becomes a two-way conversation um so for me fully Cooley, i watched it way back in the day and i remember that i disliked it i didn't hate it but i disliked it and over the years i just kind of forgot why i disliked it and then i rewatched it for this podcast and remembered oh right that's why <laughs> uh so before we get in 
before we start getting into monologues, uh, Brandon, let's go ahead. Let's start with you. Just based on the first couple of episodes, first two or three, what were your initial impressions when you watched this? What what stood out to you? Oh, I don't know if it's really possible to say what stood out. You know what? I take that back. Uh, panties. Panties stood out. There were lots of, like, upskirts and stuff like that. And I was like, man, it's like two or three every episode. Um, because, I mean, which is relevant, I think, to the story. There's, you know, coming of age stuff and sexuality and things that it's getting into. But, like, other than that, it's just like, it's such a constant rush in the first two, three episodes that it, it never really lets up with, I don't know if action is not, not action is in like fighting and things necessarily, but just like, it's constantly moving. It keeps throwing stuff at you. It just out of the blue turns into like a video manga for some reason. <laughs> um, and it, yeah, I mean, it is, I, I do have to say that like absurdist and surreal is absolutely like every ounce of it. I was like trying to, it felt like throwing pure, like exploding color at my brain and <laughs> trying desperately to like grab it as it flew by, uh, which was, as you said, it's an experience. Absolutely. So, Bama, let's jump over to you. Uh, you had, I was mentioning this before we started recording. I actually got a message from your girlfriend while you were watching this. <laughs> she was mad at you, wasn't she? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. So, I'm gonna say that your experience with this was not as pleasant but i don't want to put words in your mouth what were your initial impressions from like the first two or three episodes well i've got um from my up from episode one a note that i wrote down was okay so the closest i'm gonna get to enjoying this is speculating how it got greenlit <laughs> <laughs> i i just it, it really was not my thing and it's funny, um, the I didn't notice all the panty shots until later on in the series. And then I realized that we'd been watching panty shots just over and over and over again. And mm -hmm. and I turned to her and I said, panty shot, this, this is why I thought I was straight for 35 years. <laughs> I said, I'm, I'm card carrying by. I'm attracted to women. Is, is this sensual to you at all? And she's like, no, not really. I said, no. okay, I feel a little bit better now. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's panty shots, but they're not, there was no sensuality involved in them. And they're, that's probably a good thing, considering all the characters are underage. Um, mm. it, it, it reminded me of when people describe their dreams to you. And they say, listen, I had the strangest dream last night. And they go on and on with all these weird details. And it doesn't make a whole bunch of sense. And it's kind of boring. And that was kind of my impression of the first several episodes. 
uh, wine did not help. We, we did attempt wine. <laughs> wine did not help. I think, think you needed something harder. I did. Yeah. And, and I will tell you that uh, with enough weed, it is except it, it is actually kind of enjoyable. But uh, that's not very comforting when uh, you realize that I also enjoyed the Star Wars Christmas special when I was completely high. So <laughs> I know. Well, that's because. That's because they did it high. <laughs> that makes sense, actually. I, show, I never get high. I really don't. I, I, I use weed like once every two months or something. And now it's a, becoming a once a month thing. Watching this anime. <laughs> That's really not intentional. But yeah, um, Andy said that it was, it reminded her of being outside with her anxiety. There's just so much coming at you. I'm ADHD and I've spent a lot of time around kids. So the flashing visuals with the bright lights and the, the very cartoony expressions, none of that really phased me much, but it, it didn't really impress me either. If that makes any sense. Yeah, it totally does. Cause Here's the thing with Fooly Cooly. I mentioned earlier, you know, this is why. Well, this is why. It's because the reason why I dislike it so much is not because it's really absurdist, but more because it goes a million miles an hour 100% of the time. And I never when I initially watched it and then when I rewatched it this time, I had to take it in small chunks. I watched it in two episode blocks because there was so much stimuli and input coming at me. Oh, just so quickly. I didn't have time to process everything that was happening before. Ooh, new thing is appearing on the screen that I have to pay attention to. And that was kind of my, and that was kind of a big issue with me. And the reason why I had to take it in two episode chunks. That makes sense. And I I noticed at the end of the first, uh, of the second episode, I, I said, I think the idea is if you look back on each episode after you've seen the entire thing, it's supposed to actually make sense, but I'm not actually sold on it. It was like the, the, the question, I'm not sure when the question came up, the, the, the dad is saying, what is Fooly Cooly? What does Fooly Cooly mean? And I think it, it occurred to me eventually that that question right there and whether or not it has an answer is going to really impact your enjoyment of the series. I'm betting it was really popular because a lot of people thought it did have an answer and they're trying to figure it out. Whereas my impression of it really was it's how is a raven like a writing desk? There's not really an answer there to be found. <laughs> it's just trying to be very mysterious. And I, I don't know. I kind of hate that I, I didn't buy it. I think it would have been a lot more fun if I had bought into the idea that there was a kind of a hidden meaning that I, I didn't. <laughs> Sorry, it didn't sell me <laughs> on it. I mean, it doesn't feel like there is specificity to it, but that doesn't yeah. mean that there's nothing to it. To it, I, I mean, I think I think the idea 
I, I don't think it has a meaning even. I think it has multiple meanings, if anything. And I think that's kind of part of the difficulty of digesting the show to begin with is there's so many meanings that it's trying to present it in such rapid succession where like it's almost like each episode is almost made up of like three episodes on its own and like especially i think it was like the third episode or something like it just feels like you've got these self-contained stories as part of this bigger story of the episode as part of the overall series and it's just trying to say so much with simultaneously the actual like text of the story but also like the visuals and all of that kind of stuff too and i i had serious trouble because i i only had access to the the subs and i was trying to keep up with what was going on but half the time i couldn't even figure out who was saying which things because it was going so fast oh my gosh i can't even imagine trying to watch this with subs we were watching the dubs (laughs) oh my gosh I'm wide-eyed. Yeah, I watched yeah, it was it was rough. There were there were definitely points where I was literally just staring at the subtitles, trying to figure out what the hell was going on. You know, it's like, man, that was a little bit much. <laughs> now, did you at any point decide? You know, did you pause and roll back and redo it, or or did, were you at a point where it just felt like you know I. I can't keep up, but that's the effect that the show is doing to begin with. Literally no one can keep up with this, so I should just keep holding on because that's probably the way that they want me to experience it. Uh, it was kind of a combo. Um, I, I think there was maybe one or two points where I skipped back, like, I don't know, maybe 10 seconds and tried again. Um, but for the most part i I think it was more the latter like there were definitely parts especially like i mentioned with that like weird manga scene where it's all like black and white panels flying by it's like (laughs) there's it's intentional that there's five people talking all at once saying different things and none of it makes sense and like that is definitely intentionally part of it and i don't know if going back is the way to handle that like i think the way I don't think that looking back on this show retroactively from the end is even necessarily the best way to enjoy it. Like, I feel like this show really is, there's a feel to it that reminds me of certain video games that like, you're supposed to play it again. Like you play it again and it recontextualizes it like, like a new game plus that has extra stuff built into it. Um, And I feel like that's kind of how it's supposed to be if you really are interested in that stuff, that's how you're supposed to enjoy it. Right. And I, and I mean, even when you're talking about the, the manga panel, uh, that's where they stuff their fastest exchanges. And in fact, their pun runs and <laughs> like, it's, it's not something you can really grasp since it's all Japanese puns yes. and you're busy like, Oh, what's going on? Yeah. Uh, there's, there's some very strange, I did notice that word play was happening. And sometimes I feel this way about the show in general is like not being a native Japanese speaker. Like I'm sure I, I feel like I missed a lot. Um, 
even it, with a with a dub i feel like i still would have missed a fair amount because there there are points where they're clearly playing with words uh and if you have no context for what it is you're just missing stuff right were you, were you getting that in some of the scenes where they were obviously being meta either about you know possibly earlier gynax shows or other stuff where were you seeing where it's like oh there, obviously there's something going on here. I don't have the full context, but I know that they're doing something that would make more sense if I had more exposure or, or I was native. Uh, I mean, I, I, I felt like that was the case. I don't know that I would be able to put my finger on particular points in retrospect, but like the, the entire show felt like that was kind of the point was that yeah. you were supposed to miss stuff. Uh, and then, you know, fill it in retroactively, but like, so the idea that there are several layers that I just didn't understand or or wasn't ready for, especially in one viewing, like I, right. I'm, I felt that way at the start, and I feel like that feeling was reinforced as I watched more of the show. I I hope you at least were able to pick up quickly on the South Park reference. <laughs> well, I mean, they I, were pretty, they were pretty blunt <laughs> with it. <laughs> I find it pretty hilarious that they uh, I almost put in that it. long a South Park reference. Yeah, yeah, that was good. But, so uh, I want to go ahead and jump in here real fast. Uh, this is a question that I meant to ask earlier, and I didn't get a chance to. I just kind of forgot. Uh, Brandon and Bama, we'll start with Brandon. Um, Fully Cooley, like CT mentioned in his introduction of it, had a pretty strong reputation in the community once upon a time. And when it got a sequel series... Uh, two sequel series actually this past decade it kind of revived it and brought for and brought in a new generation of fans uh had you ever i'm realized that you'd never watched it before but had you ever even heard of it before had it ever crossed your uh field of vision and we'll start with brandon uh no, I literally had, I feel like I have, like, I feel like there are elements of it, having watched it and seen stills and stuff now, where I feel like I've seen it, seen parts of it somewhere before, but I I have no idea. Whatever it was, was not direct, that's for sure. I, I've never, I had never heard of it. Uh, Bama, over to you. Have you had this ever crossed through your field of vision before yes actually i i'd heard of it and i was actually looking forward to seeing it because i had heard of it and um i heard it was absurd and wacky and cerebral and yeah so i i think maybe that's part of why i'm so disappointed as i had some higher expectations i uh, ran across it on uh, tv tropes i think the TV mm-hmm. Trips website. Mm-hmm. And it, it just sounded like the sort of thing I'd be interested in. Also, at one point, I almost stopped the thing and I, I absolutely looked up a YouTube video. I do not know the guy's name and I didn't write it down, which is, I'm mad at myself. I thought I had. Uh, but 
go to YouTube and type in I wish I was a lesbian anime. It's a song about I wish I was a lesbian and he someone did an anime music video using a lot of fully cooly shots to the point where I was like, "Oh my gosh, I know that guy. He's the I wish I was a lesbian guy." And Andy's looking at me funny. <laughs> It's uh, it's a great video, actually. <laughs> you should you should go check it out. It's fun, um, but yeah. So I had seen it, um, or or you know, seen bits of it without any context, and yeah, I'd, I'd heard of it. So the answer for me is yes. And and that was recently, though, not uh, <clears throat> excuse me, not back in the day when you had, because it's not too far forward of Evangelion, but uh, I assume I, you had actually bowed out before it was yeah, a thing. Within the last 10 years, I'd, no more than that at this point. Maybe the last <laughs> 15? Just those two little snippets? Gotcha. Uh, so getting into the latter half of the series, uh, the latter with the climax episode, I want to go ahead and get into this a little bit. Uh, let's go ahead. Let's start with CT. So the ending for this series, was it meant to attempt to tie up any loose ends? I'm honestly not sure how many loose ends it left behind and how many it tied up because it was just, like I said, for six episodes coming at me so fast that I had trouble keeping up at times. So I'll let you explain this to me. I think ultimately it does wrap up enough. I mean, you get an open-ending... You get an open-ended situation with... Haruko, of course, because she's just going on to chase the Pirate King, apparently into One Piece or wherever he escaped to. Uh, <laughs> but but her role was not that of healthy relationship, uh, love interest uh, uh, to to be a thing. She was, you know, the vehicle of chaos but ultimately uh you know certain color and growth uh and in the end what the the final scenes they have between them are are more about uh naota just being you know emotionally truthful uh the fact that you have the after things where you know he doesn't go off chasing her or pining over her or uh mommy me or anything else he's just okay i'm i'm still here i'm still in the town i don't resent it the same way i did before uh nina mori has a a very similar arc to his as they're they're coming to a a form of maturity that uh reflects themselves not some weird ideal that they went in uh having it uh mommy me's arc such as it were again she uh is no longer 
held back by uh, an unhealthy relationship, both with uh, her memories of Tasaku and her uh, uh, attempting to use Naota as a proxy. Uh, so the fact that she took off is uh, represents her overall arc. Uh, the rest of it is just sort of a, you know, we've gone we've gone in, we've experienced, uh, you know, a whole bunch of the normal confusion and awakening in a quite literal crazy form. Uh, but the uh, the town that Naota inhabits at this point isn't you know the the drab one anymore uh conti is still around uh he's just doing at this point what you hope he wants to and whether he chooses to chase anyone in the future or ends up settling you know down it's it's something that he's been able to come to so as much as the through lines for all of the characters is emotional and experiential rather than anything plot wise. The plot doesn't matter. It's just a vehicle for insanity. Uh, <laughs> I feel that it is actually pretty well wrapped up in the end. Uh, at least the, the threads come together and it doesn't represent an ending for anyone in particular, but it, and it, it represents a, uh, an, even this that the characters have come to that's, you know, snapped them out of uh, uh, their overall true juvenile behavior and into something that's more healthy and, and capable of them growing through. So I think it ends well enough, certainly, for a uh, six-part OVA that spends so much time in, in madcap uh, hijinks. <laughs> so Brandon uh, we talked about the, your impressions from the first half after you had a chance to get used to the series as it were uh, what did what were your impressions from the second half after you had settled in and kind of figured out you know this figured out the pacing and figured out you know, the general conceit of what you were going to be getting. Uh, and did the ending stand out for you at all? Or did it all just feel like it came to an end and that was it? Uh, I feel like, so the, I think going into, like going through the last half, uh, a lot of the things that I was questioning in the first half, like what the themes were and things like that, which I feel like I probably would have had a better grasp of in other series that, you know, in the first hour or so in the second hour, it was finally kind of settling. I was like, yeah, okay, this is kind of what this is. It's slice of life, kind of hometown growing up and people leaving and all those kinds of themes. Um, so I think I felt more comfortable if anything with the second half, which I don't know, is maybe intentional it it is a story about again growing up um and the end is very much that right like things end sort of but it's really supposed to be a transition that's kind of what the whole show is about and so i don't know that i think it really ties a 
anything except that I don't know. Um, my Mimi is out of the picture. She is just gone. She's doing her own thing because she needed to get the hell out of town because there's too much baggage or whatever is kind of the feel I got. And but aside from that, I felt like it didn't really tie up anything, but I felt like that was appropriate, if anything. Uh, Bama, how about you? After you had settled into the series, what did you take away from the second half, if anything? Or were you just, you know, praying for blissful, quick release? Sweet release. Um, there was a little of both. <laughs> not, not, not gonna lie. Um, I liked the second half better. I'm not sure if that's because there was a bit more of a plot and there seemed to be a bit more of a cohesion. I remember thinking that if I had seen the second half first, I might have been a little more open to the idea that there is some sort of deeper meaning to all this insanity. Um, on the other hand, I was uh, pretty high at that point, so I don't know how much <laughs> of that was just an altered state of consciousness that, that was letting everything come in a little bit filtered. Um, it ended more cohesively than I was expecting it to. I kind of wish that they'd ex uh, explained about the eyebrows a little bit better. <laughs> the eyebrows just, I don't know. I, I, I couldn't help but love them. I, I loved the eyebrows. Yeah. They were definitely I, I, well lampshaded. I, 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 I wish nobody was talking about them. I wish that they were considered completely normal. Because <laughs> that would have been, a, I, I would have liked that even more. But, but I suppose everyone has to notice that the weird distracting eyebrows, the guy loses his eyebrow. It, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> But yeah, it, it ended, um, the ending was more cohesive than I was expecting it to be. But yeah, I'm, I, I, I was praying for some sweet release. The only note I took at the, for the final episode reads, and I quote, hmm. for the record, the Monty Python hand doesn't make sense even when you're high. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> Oh no, man! It had stigmata in it. Therefore, there must have been some higher religious meaning to all of this. Yeah, the whole thing, right? was, yeah. I don't know. I I really love what CT said earlier about how the plot doesn't matter. It's just a uh, a vehicle for insanity, and I, I I can't help but wonder if that is the point. It, it's supposed to be this this very dreamlike simulation. I wouldn't disagree. That that certainly feels more appropriate because, frankly, I don't know how you build a plot over just having a particular brain that teleports matter across light years, <laughs> yeah. and it's uh, a power that can allow the pirate king to steal whole <laughs> to steal whole star systems, and that's what Haruko is going after. And it's like, but they're not exploring that in any way other than you know he's always got weird stuff growing out of his head and it'll turn into things and most of the time there's some kind of uh phallic or psychosexual meaning to it or it gets passed over uh, uh, 
hesitant security to uh, uh, what is it to uh, Ninamori in episode three. Uh, it, it just goes places. <laughs> yeah. You're not really supposed to follow. So I mentioned earlier that this past decade, Fooly Cooly did get two sequels. It got Progressive and Alternative. You'll have to forgive me if I got those in the wrong order. Uh, so my question right. is, is after watching this initial show, how likely are you to go into one of the sequel series or both of them even? Uh, Brandon, how about you? I think I am going to have to rewatch this first <laughs> before I can actually answer that. Like, I just, I need to like actually grok the things that are happening and how they tie together. Um, <laughs> I am interested if this show, if I watch it again and it actually pans out in the way that I hope that it does. I uh, think you might... I... Oh, sorry. No, uh, it's I was, fine. I was just going to add to that that I, I think you you might not not just... Uh, what is it? Uh, uh, rewatching, but... Uh, possibly doing the thing where you're seeing what other people have been talking about it. Not not in the reading Mal reviews, although I've been very entertained reading Mal reviews because they tend to fluctuate between tens and twos. And yeah. I, <laughs> Mal reviews are not great in, in general, but these are uh, these I'm particularly entertained by. But I think chewing over for yourself, but also just getting more brains on the disseminating uh, certain characters because there's a lot of uh, you know particular enjoyment I think for a lot of people about mommy me because she seems to be the most messed up but most human of the folks and perhaps one of the ones that you can learn the most out of but it all comes down to does this work put you in the mindset that would even you know, encourage you to, or does it just come across too goofy and shallow to bother? Mm. And I, I think that's where the the aesthetic and the experience can either is yeah. going to make or break it for most people. Absolutely. Uh, Bama, how about you? Uh, how likely are you to check out either of the sequels? I don't think that's i don't think i'm gonna do that i i feel i feel kind of bad i'm glad brandon seemed to enjoy it i, I was hoping that it, that one of us would because I, I think it would be pretty boring if i didn't if we both didn't um but i i, I this really just kind of wasn't my jam uh, i remember uh watching about 15 minutes of bo 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 and <laughs> I mean, I really thought I was going to like it because I like things that are loony and crazy, but that was, it was too much. And, and I was, I watched about 15 minutes of it and then I was done. And I think if it wasn't for this podcast, I would have done the exact same thing with Fooly Cooly, watched the first 15 minutes and said, well, and, and then turned it off and watched curling. <laughs> which we actually did <laughs> we watched uh, the sweden versus canada uh, no sweden versus 
somebody. Can't remember. Sweden won. I think it was Sweden versus Russia. It was supposed to be a Spanish production, but they had dubbed it into English. It was hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are certainly a number of them that, you know, I generally enjoy a lot of the more absurdist and experimental uh, sorts of things uh, to swivel back to something that uh, LB mentioned in the beginning. One of the other reasons that I think throwing Furikuri out here early uh, was good is I believe it I I believe this is a uh, a bit of a stepping stone for the eventuality of getting to something that uh, we we both like a lot more and want uh, probably want to test them with and will be a true test of uh, getting through a number of other things and that'll be for the Monogatari ser series later on. Oh, uh, thank goodness. I thought you were about to say kill a kill, and I thought I was going to have to kill you. No, no, I mean, I enjoy kill a kill, but I don't have a necessity to go into uh, the trigger works, and this feels, you know, very much like uh, the first experiment going down the triggery direction, even though the director isn't uh, one that went to that studio, Tsurumaki, in fact largely stayed attached at the hip to Hideaki Anno. So uh, while he did uh, Furikuri and would go on to Die Buster, which I also enjoyed, he then went into all the rebuild of Evangelion movies, and he was a part of the uh, end of Evangelion movie prior. So uh, he, he feels like the one that would have led most specifically to Trigger, but uh, there, there's more involved in, in what they do. Uh, but I mean, being able to, to to have something where there's an experiential side to shows like uh, uh, Monogatari that you simply cannot keep up with, and it's building a tiny bits of immunity here. But I've noticed for all of the people that I try to share certain absurdist things with... I can find almost no rhyme or reason why one of them appeals to me and another one doesn't. Why uh, someone really enjoys Harakawa Under the Bridge but hates Excel Saga. Uh, whereas I love both of those but really don't enjoy other things. So when you're, when you're in this kind of area, it just seems to be amazingly unique to a taste that I think people just can't quantify. Uh, and I forget your specifics, uh, LB, about, about certain other ones. Obviously, you've gone through a lot more like that. And uh, and I know the, the trigger-esque direction doesn't appeal, but uh, I know a bunch of the other ones do. And uh, I'm, I'm not sure if you are the same type where you're not really sure why one particular thing in the same way that, you know, certain humor, not a lot of this is obviously gag humor going uh, as a through line through Foodie Goody as well. Do, do you ever find yourself with the ability to really explain why one set of it is, you find great and another set of it you just find, you know, hair pulling? Uh, no, I mean, comedy is just one of those subjective things that 
there is no I have given long since given up on trying <laughs> to figure out you know why something is why one thing is hilarious and why another thing is not excel saga like you mentioned is hilarious i love that show on the other hand arakawa under the bridge not so much uh but i mean there are uh you could even go into say you know puni puni poemi as a extreme example of absurdist comedy that i really enjoyed back in the day but you know, I don't know if I would still find it all that hilarious. It's been quite a few years since I visited it. Um, so yeah, but absurdist comedy in particular is definitely very subjective, even from a personal point of view. I would love to be able to articulate exactly <laughs> why, oh, well, I found this joke to be particularly stimulating in a positive way, but I can't. And and one of your comments, I think, makes sense to wrap around to the uh, trainees, as it were. I came to Furikuri as outside of the normal range, but I know that it was on Adult Swim in 2003, I know a lot of people who seem to like it experience at an age where they were possibly Naotas or at the very least no older than Mommy Me represented in here. So uh, starting with you, Bama, do you think this would have sat better or at least differently and in a way that you might have found more appealing if you were hitting it at a... Uh, at a time that's more age-representative of the characters, uh, if it's comparing to other things that you watched uh, of that time, how, how do you think... Uh, obviously, you have to imagine it, but, <laughs> but, yeah. but how do you think it might have landed at that point? That is a very intriguing question, and I honestly... I'm, I'm having a hard time coming up with an answer. I... I I honestly don't know. I, I realize that that sounds like a cop-out, but I don't feel like my tastes have changed all that much. Although I could be wrong. I mean, I'm a little more sure of myself now. But I don't... I don't think that would have affected um, how I felt about the show. The only thing that I think would have really made a big difference is if instead of watching it all at once, which is what I did, um, I watched the first three episodes and then break for a hockey game and aforementioned hmm. curling, and then the last three, sure. but all in one day. Um, if it had been sliced up into 10-minute chunks... Hmm doled out daily over a couple of weeks I might have liked it a little bit better because like you said there is just so much coming at you it reminded me of Looney Tunes and I love Looney Tunes it reminded me of uh, the really old Looney Tunes like the, the, the little skeleton symphony 
and and the merry mm. melodies you know where they were back in the black and white era in i didn't really think fully cooly was very funny but it was very manic and i'm wondering if if maybe if it was in smaller chunks like the looney tunes tended to be maybe it would have gone down a little easier and uh over to brandon i think i like it more than i would have at that age because i think i'm probably more comfortable sitting with the uncomfortable parts of that show than i would have been um and and i think too like parts of it are dealing with uh parts of adolescence that it's hard to process properly at that age or probably would have been for me at least like in retrospect when you look at it i, I can like point to certain parts of it and be like okay this is a really weird way of going about this particular part of adolescence but i kind of get what the feeling they're trying to capture here is and i understand that feeling um and i i think had i been younger i don't know that i would have necessarily either a really understood that part or b would have been comfortable with it like i probably would have sat there and been like yeah that, that's a little too close to home and like kind of bounced out of it i was just gonna say uh, when you asked me the question I, w I i pulled my brain back to myself in my early 20s and, and couldn't find much of a difference but if i pull it back to age say 12 when puberty is starting to really hit hard i'm a girl and i hit puberty early so 12 is about when all the insanity really kind of hit. I, I think I could have related to it better, but I think instead of rolling my eyes at the panty shots, I would have been absolutely horrified because I was very, very British. <laughs> and I think I would have hated it for that. So <laughs> no, I don't think I would have liked it <laughs> age 12, but for a completely different reason. <laughs> I think, I think the portrayal of women in it is particularly rough, partly because that's kind of the intent. Like, it's, it is fundamentally a very adolescent way of looking at women. Like, um, oh God, I can't remember. What's her face on the Vespa? She, um, she's basically like an older woman with tattoos, basically. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, using a very particular archetype to talk about uh naota uh, naoto is like what he's going through and what he sees in women and trying him trying to process it and I, I think it makes it very hard to find any of the women relatable in any way you know like i i found it like at first i was like man this is not doing a good job until i realized that that was kind of the point but it doesn't necessarily make it easier to get into either um that that's probably one of the toughest parts of it is like a good portion of the characters are portrayed in not very good light because of the way 
they are kind of being leered at. But the show also, I'm not saying it's trying to give the women agency, but it is absolutely saying that these women are using the way that he looks at them to their advantage all the time. (laughs) Um, Which is not the same thing as agency, but at least... I don't know. It's saying something. <laughs> well, I, I, I see where you're coming from, and that makes sense. And it, it, it's very true. And, and I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there. It they, they give the women a lot of power, but they don't give them a lot of agency. Yeah. Absolutely. It's like we're very, very powerful, but you know what? There's no, nothing, you, you can't get to choose how you're going to be using this power and and maybe that really is a lot of what my problem is with it is just that i'm female and this isn't this is a guy show i mean yeah i mean i was i was thinking about like the panty shots right and i was like maybe that because in my head the way i was framing like his relationship with women is like this boy seriously like wants to be stepped on like he is so into women using him that it's ridiculous and in like episode four or five when he starts to like come to terms with this the revolution like in his brain is not even that he's like oh these people are using me and that's bad or anything like that he's like these people are using me and i like it and he like leans into that you know (laughs) so it's a the the way that it looks at women is it has almost like kink built into it in a strange way so like the panties thing is probably because it's taboo for a boy that age to be looking up girl skirts right right where you may not relate to that because that wasn't a taboo that you were taught you know what i mean um or at least for you potentially and so like i feel like a lot of the things are built into like a very very particular perspective and unless you're like really looking at that and trying to understand that particular thing i don't know that it is necessarily enjoyable um and it can absolutely very easily be offensive and i entirely understand that too um but i I do think that it's dealing with some some very particular things like the the women are very much using men. They are using the way men look at them for their own gain. And so it's playing in that space. It's aware that it's doing that, but it's very uncomfortable. Well, Haruko is certainly using anyone and everyone. And sure. uh, definitely is the biggest abuser in here. I mean, look at eyebrows there. Yeah, uh, yeah, she obviously trampled all over that dude, and he yeah. is fixated on her still, even while trying to warn Nyota away. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, he he can't get out of her shadow, and that yeah. uh, certainly parallels Mamimi, who can't get out of Nyota's brother's shadow, and has right. been basically abusing him as proxy. And I feel like the reason that she leaves at the end is now she can't see Naota as anyone other than Naota at that point, yeah. who she doesn't like, and therefore she has to give up on Tasaku and 
you know, make something of her, of her own. I think overall, Nina Mori comes across very well because she is, she doesn't get a lot of screen time, but she parallels quicker and easier the, the emotional journey that Naota kind of goes through. In yeah. hers, she's rebelling against certain expectations. Uh, she's showing, obviously, uh, a bit of affection and wants it from her parents, from conceivably Naota. But in the end, it, she's gone through the thing where, you know, the, the trope of cutting your hair. Yes. Well, she did cut her hair at some point, but it was all off screen and she's busy in the uh you know casually doing the popsicle thing which is simply an acknowledgement that she is more mature generally yeah. uh that Naota will eventually catch up to her arc is behind the scenes and doesn't involve him for more than one episode but at the very least between both of them they eventually get to a a healthy place and the healthier. <laughs> yeah. But she's also, you know, basically pre-adolescent or, or going into adolescence. That's their journey to be had here. Whereas uh, Mommy B, uh, uh, you know, should have already gone through this and, uh, and been able to control herself. And Haruko is a crazy alien, so it hardly matters. Yeah. Uh, she does represent some good things, but she also represents a whole lot of evil impulses. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> so, in in the end, the, the, there's a funny part to this that I think that LB can chime in on as well, because I've hit this with other people experiencing certain older anime mm -hmm. uh, and and uh, uh, bringing up certain things that's, you know, extremely fan servicey or heavy panty shots. Like, honestly, the, the thing that at the time and still, you know, strikes out at, at me is the general shortness of Mommy Me's skirt, which was barely tissue paper. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but that's, that's part of her character. But I'm so jaded on it from anime in general that I barely noticed that kind of thing. Yeah. And it, it's it's a little bit interesting to hear it given as much emphasis as you guys have been because there are just so many examples of things that are a thousand times worse than this that I have experienced that that uh, a lot of them come up and I'm like, oh, that's cute. Wait a minute. Uh, so I don't know. I know you didn't like it in general, LB, but on on certain things about it, whether it be panty shots or or general fan servicey bits, uh, how does it play out to you, and how much does it get defrayed by just you know the the madcap nonsense factor as well? Well, I mean, like I mentioned earlier. The series goes a million miles an hour, 100% of the time. It doesn't let up in the slightest at any given point. It There's always something going on. There's always something new being said that may or may not be important. There's always something else that 
a visual that may or may not be important to the overall story and it's so difficult to take all of that in and process it and be able to think back on previous episodes and be able to go oh okay i remember seeing that that was probably important because it's always going so quickly i didn't have the ability to do that it was just way too frantic to keep up with so i mean in terms of overall like fan service and such yeah this is there's plenty of you know material in this series that is objectionable but compared to you know the many many harem and etchy series that i've watched over the years you know this is cute in comparison <laughs> okay so it's it, it's not me. I, I just find certain certain times it comes up and it it's you know very straightforward and I just sort of blink and I try to remember what was going on. Like I, I don't really remember that. <laughs> I feel like I'm I'm either not paying attention or right. It's it's a level of weird jadedness that after you've watched a few hundred of these. Uh, crazy things for 30 years uh <laughs> your brain is in a different space for it i i have a strange question for all of you because lb was talking about stuff being important to like the story and plot is anything in this supposed to be important because i kind of feel like the show is intentionally saying that none of this is actually important I don't tend to think that as a plot it's supposed to have any real coherence that you can invest in. I think that of the elements that are there, what isn't euphemism or gag fodder is just there to be either something because it's a vehicle of them just stream of consciousness out crazy things sometimes is just to get a particularly uh, uh, zany uh, action scene or just to be highly imaginative. But I think for the most part, it's it's in service of certain concepts that you can, uh, uh, you know, in the, invest in or not, uh, but certain representations of power, uh, representations of of chaos and unpredictability uh obviously there's the heavy-handedness talking about uh smoothing things out and Mm -hmm. uh how do how do characters approach comfort and conformity and uh uniqueness and other things i think everything that's going on is simply there to be conceptual and not plotical in in any way that that makes a difference because it's it's so hard to to grasp or follow and you i don't think you gain a benefit by being able to put it into some level of coherence about brain halves communicating and transporting matter over light years and there's a, a giant pirate king that can steal star systems and is Haruko's ex in some fashion and she wants to steal his power. 
that that <laughs> yeah no <laughs> that doesn't I mean, strike me as a thing yeah i i mean i agree that like the the plot in particular is intentionally absurd and not necessarily important i just meant sort of in like a it's got a very uh i i was drawing parallels of this show to like american movies about like um coming of age and you know that one summer you know where things happened but they and they are maybe important to the person but like there's also like an acknowledgement of a sort of lack of significance cosmically like this thing happened but it didn't change anything except for how i see things you know what i mean yeah and i think that's largely what it does by the end yeah you you get the sense that uh medical mechanica and their and their crazy iron place it's still there the robot is still there but folks have maturity they've had their experience but it he hasn't left in pursuit of similar it's uh my my life is the change but i've i've matured enough in a way that all of this there's still the remnants of what happened around uh but it's just represent representative of the journey that uh this particular season led him through and uh i i kind of feel like the follow-ups are trying to play more into actual plot so i'm not sure what (laughs) will amount to that because that feels like the wrong kind of thing to attach to well i i do want to say that i'm I'm so glad that we discussed this because i I, I feel very dumb admitting this, but I didn't the 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 phallic imagery of the stuff coming from his forehead literally did not even cross my mind until we discussed it just now, and it <laughs> literally didn't even cross my mind, and, and so now I'm kind of wondering if the reason I wasn't crazy about this is because maybe it's it's very much about a um a very masculine male adolescence concept and that's why i didn't get it it's not really for me anyway and that's cool i'm okay with that um because yeah i didn't get it (laughs) sorry (laughs) well hold on let let me there are some interesting quotes from the director but i think this one is worth doing uh there, there'd been a number of interviews with the director who, as I said before, is kind of Hideakiano's protege and was heavily involved in Evangelion and a whole bunch of Gainax stuff. And he was sort of given ropes like after Ava, Ano was just sort of, okay, well, it's your turn next. What do you want to do? And that's what turned into Foodie Cootie. So, but so in the way of how did this even get made, it was just kind of what do you want to do, and this is what he felt like doing. Uh, but one of the things he had to say uh, for a question for all of the fans that are confused at all, if you had to define in one sentence what Foodie Cootie is about, what would you say? And his response. Uh, Foodie Cootie is the story of boy meets girl. For me, it's also about how it's okay to feel stupid. With Evangelion, <laughs> there was this feeling 
that you had better be smart to understand it, or even just to work on it. With Furikuri, I want to say that it's okay to feel stupid. (laughs) (laughs) So by design, baked in to all of this is the, uh, the level of just offhand, uh, uh, you're you're supposed to <laughs> you're supposed to be confused by it all. Well, I w- I was going to ask because this is one of the things I mentioned at the beginning, and uh, Bama had mentioned uh, Looney Tunes, and I guess one of the things now that you've all experienced this kind of thing, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of sort of farcical stuff in in Western animation and other things, Looney Tunes to a degree, uh, things that you know, go high concept madcap stuff like Rick and Morty. Uh, but does does this strike you that, like, does this fall close to anything else from another medium that you've experienced or, or know about? Because I, I was, when I was choosing it, I was having a hard time thinking of something close to it. And I'm, I'm curious if you were reminded of, of anything in totality or just in certain uh, aesthetic or, or experiential parts of it. Not... Uh... Go ahead. Uh, I was just, It kind of... It made me think of a few things, though I don't know how apt it is because, oddly enough, like I, I liked the absurdness in this, but... I'm. I haven't generally been a fan of that kind of stuff in like Western media, <laughs> like uh, Ren and Stimpy. Like it made me think of like Ren and Stimpy mixed with uh, Beavis and Butthead, um, <laughs> with because obviously like the music and things like that. And I mean, let's face it, if it's meant to be stupid, like like it's okay to be stupid. Like Beavis and Butthead kind of. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, um, but those two, those two were kind of in my head a a lot in terms of like this, it almost felt kind of like abandoned town Americana type mixed with that really ridiculous, nonsensical quality of Ren and Stimpy. Um, but those aren't even shows that I like. I particularly like it's it generally <laughs> I never really cared much for those. Like, so it's actually maybe odd that I enjoyed this. And what about you LB? Um, I honestly don't know if I would compare it to anything in Western media. Uh, I have watched a lot of absurdist comedy over the years from various countries and various uh, mediums. I don't know if I could compare anything in Western media to the madcapness of Fooly Cooly, though. Right, this particular level of it. I feel like it. I'm too close to the anime side of it, so I can see all of the tendrils through other Gynax works and trigger works. I was wondering uh, whether or not another perspective would uh, would shine a light on on something different. I, I'm finding it far too easy to go down exactly the the same path with with some of the very same creators. The closest uh, thing I can think of would be a, a three ring circus. 
<laughs> yeah, literally, because there's so much going sure. on. Yeah. And I mean, but, I don't know. <laughs> Everybody's my age, right? Y- y- y'all had circuses. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, so uh, now, now is this more Barnum and Bailey or Cirque du Soleil? Uh, Barnum and Bailey's the only one I've seen. I haven't actually done Cirque du Soleil, sadly. Um, I say sadly, I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't like it. But yeah, you, I, I remember my mama warning me. She said that it was better on TV because you didn't have to try to decide which ring you're watching. And mm. when I actually went to the circus in real life, that was exactly, she, she was right. Because there's, there's a show going on over to your left, a show right in front of you, and a show to your right, and you don't know which one to watch because they're all going on at the exact same time, and, and that's uh, that would be the closest I would I would come to this particular anime. <laughs> and somehow all three acts are relevant to each other, and yes. so <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, now, I guess before we go entirely, the uh, you mentioned music and a connection with Beavis and Butthead. So I guess, because this is one of the things that sticks in the community as well, was uh, the, the pillows basically became the soundscape for the entire show at that point. It, it's hard for me to even remember. I think they had one scene with a, a kind of classical... Uh, open source thing but basically it was all obviously very heavy with a electric guitar and the band itself so it was very much uh an alternative rock j-rock kind of feel to it uh and i know for a lot of people that's one of the things that really sits with them is the soundtrack and uh, appreciation for the band in general uh how did you guys find that either fitting to the show or just enjoyable for you in general was the uh the kind of the the unitone for for everything about it and and coming out of effectively rock songs rather than uh uh uh, what the, the type of thing that you got from background music and vocal songs and everything that for instance we experience with uh madoka magica I guess I'll I'll pass that to Brandon first. Uh, I mean, I really liked the music that I remember. <laughs> uh, I, I think I don't I don't know that I remember nearly as much as I would have liked, considering how much I was trying to process at any given time. Um, I I did really appreciate that having. It's not a type of music that you very much hear in just about anything um and i did even while i was watching it get feelings of like sort of late 90s like punk that not not like classic like you know down with the establishment punk (laughs) but the sort of like blink 182 era like angst punk um it felt like that was kind of baked into the show even though the music wasn't necessarily that kind of punk it was it had did have a little more rock to it um but uh, yeah like it was parts of the culture of the music felt like it was baked into the show in a way that i kind of appreciated and Bama? 
Okay, you know the little meme of the puppet who looks both ways very uncomfortably? (laughs) (laughs) I do not remember a single thing about the soundtrack. I feel really bad now. (laughs) I remember exactly Zilch. Did you listen to... I I mean, there's... I suppose to to a degree that there is just... An overall, I mean, they're wielding electric guitars, so the fact that there's so much electric guitar soundscape to it, <laughs> you're being—they're being brained over the head with guitar right. sound effects, so that that would blend in no matter what. Uh, did you listen to the uh, ED? This is uh, one of the one of the endings for the uh, for the shows that I think for a lot of people ends up on there topping top list of endings of all time was was that something or were you skipping just to get to the next part of the show i i honestly don't remember which seems to indicate that we were probably skipping but no i don't remember the end credits or much about the beginning credits even and and that doesn't it didn't really have an op in the in the conventional sense Okay. And, yeah. Uh, I'm really sorry, it, everybody out there listening. That does not mean that the music is not, <laughs> not memorable. It just means that I don't remember it. <laughs> I I got to the last episode, I think, before I realized there weren't like opening credits to the show. I was like, wow, that's different. Uh but yeah, the the um just that riff with the sound waves on the screen. Yeah, yeah, that's that's yeah, one that's of the good. most memorable and, damn stings that. Uh, and and the closing credits are basically they are very reminiscent of like a a punk sort of music video, right? The riding around on the sco- the the scooter like sped up to like you know ten times speed or whatever, you know, like it's got a very punk feel, even just in the way it's presented. Yeah, and a lot of live action mixed in with uh, with certain yep. scenes. And uh, do you have any real connection to it, LB, either from back in the day, the first time you were watching it, or uh, or re-experiencing, or pillows ain't your kind of jam? I mean, I like the ending theme song. It's never made it onto my iPod before, and I don't see it being added anytime in the near future. Uh, and the soundtrack, while in the middle of the show, is just so blended in to the madcap action that's going on that it's hard to pick it out. Uh, so yeah, so I didn't have a particularly deep connection to the music in this in this series. Okay, it, so it at I least have... uh, felt uh, like an appropriate thing to talk about. Yeah. I have one last question that I want to ask to Bama and Brandon. Uh, So we'll start with Brandon. Uh, Now that we've established you in the absurdist genre of anime, if CT and I were to recommend another series that fell into the absurdist genre later on down the line, 
would you be hesitant to check it out? Or did this series give you an idea of, okay, this is what anime can do, bring it on? I think I think I'd be down for it. I do think that I'd probably want the heads up of whether or not I'm supposed to really follow what the hell's going on. Um, I just like I definitely enjoyed this, but I think I was probably trying too hard to try and understand what was happening in the beginning. And so as long as I kind of have an idea, I'm totally down for more absurdist wacky anime stuff and bama how about you how hesitant would you be if we came up with another absurd comedy sometime down the line far far down the line (laughs) (laughs) giving giving appropriate mental space i would be hesitant i'm not gonna lie i'm i'm still i'm still willing to do it I'm, i'm willing to give this another shot but between this and the 15 minutes of bo 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 that i felt like i could handle i i i would be going into it with a raised eyebrow and, and there that's not to say that i wouldn't come away from it thinking it was wonderful i mean that's entirely possible i i've been known to be weird and change my mind but yeah at the moment i would be looking at you funny going oh Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, did anybody else have any closing questions or comments? Uh this is an extremely particular thing because it was one of the gags that I found funniest early on, and I found it so weird that it was thrown away once. But right as uh, Haruko was first introduced, where you have the slow motion of her flying towards Naota and doing like the 3D matrix spinning smooch, uh, as it were, they break away to the characters acting like they're actors talking about the scene where they're like, oh yeah, it's, it's real annoying to hold your breath during that. And then... And then, oh yeah, uh, that was uh, funny. I Naota is like, did you? <laughs> I thought it was going to be a thing, and I'm like, I'm not sure if I'm saddened that it was thrown away, or if, or if I feel like if they had broken away more often after doing some of the most ridiculous stuff, whether or not that would have made it more approachable for uh, for folks. It's just. Uh, a point of amusement for me. I enjoyed what little instances there were of that kind of thing of where they like explain, actually just explain the joke to you or whatever. Like there, there are just certain instances where they do that or like, they're literally just looking at like, this is the thing that happened. We are going to actually say the thing that happened. (laughs) Um, like like there's a metaphor of the dad basically just becoming like a desiccated corpse because he's just like had been neglectful or something and so it's like got neoto like pouring water over him to like rehydrate him by giving him attention and it's like actually saying 
well, I was like neglectful or whatever. It's some of those things are just like, yeah, no, we got the imagery, but I appreciate you just being like, <laughs> we're just going to say this. Fourth walling around. Yeah, like not saying it directly to the audience, but it is talking directly to the audience. Just just seemed to be one of the things they were experimenting with. They were kind of tossing it. That seemed to be one of the uh, the bigger things about the show was just being experimentalist all the time, picking a particular direction for an episode throwing things in and not not even revisiting them uh which i guess i don't know if it has a uh, a definitive appeal for most people but at the very least i think that's one of the things that that makes it all right let's go ahead let's wrap things up on that note then uh thank you to ct brandon and bama for joining me this time it was a lot of fun discussing this with all of you Good times, all. Oh yeah, talking about it's more fun than watching it. <laughs> I <laughs> and on that note, thank you to all of you for listening to us talk about this for the last hour and a half. If you want to check this out before anybody else, be sure to visit us on our Patreon. That's Patreon.com/slash/OtakuReview, where it'll go live for a week before it hits the major podcast providers. If you want to leave us a little review or a rating or anything or a subscription, that would be really beneficial to us, and we would love it. Other than that, have a great night everybody and we'll talk to you all soon bye folks bye bye